0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Warif Podcast, a place for dialogue on development that promotes social, economic, and environmental progress. My name is Abir, and I'm your host. It's my joy to connect with fellow developmental professionals, practitioners, academics, and enthusiasts. My mission is to make the world a more kind, safe, and clean place. I believe even small steps in the right direction. Can cause a chain reaction towards larger positive impact. Let's meet our guests and learn how they're working towards a better world. Our guest today is Lina Al Suleimani. I would call Lina Suleimani as a, a creative Renaissance uh, female who's very inspiring. She has been uh, working in different creative industries. Ranging from a becoming uh, or studying jewelry design to becoming a wedding planner based in Dubai, and then she started her own uh, strategy company in the United States. Welcome, uh, Lena. Hi. So Lena, please tell us more about yourself. How do you identify yourself? Who is Lena?
1: Ah, Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um, So yes, my name is Lina Suleiman and I am Saudi American, lived all my life in the Middle East up until 2016. I am a mother and I am a woman out to help other women find their voices, stand in their purpose and let the world hear what their magic is. It took me a while to get to that. That was my purpose in life. Up to this point, I've done many things, as you mentioned, wedding planner, uh, operations manager and wellness center. Uh, I've worked as a stylist and finally, and as a health coach as well, but finally now in finding my niche and knowing what, I, what brings me joy every single day is working with women and helping them, whether it's with their businesses and helping them to pivot or strategize or to just give them the confidence to stand out and share their message with the world.
0: Wonderful, Selina, Like it seems like you've been through different industries. Like, what was the tipping point which made you feel that you want to do, um, like you want to work in strategy and work with a niche type of woman? What was the tipping point? I think, um, to be
1: honest, I've through in every single job in every industry I worked in, I always found joy in helping women. So whether it was the bride, whether it was the woman on her search and her journey for wellness, whether it was uh, as a stylist, a woman coming in and trying to feel her best so that she could feel her confidence. So I feel like probably the tipping point was for me in my last role as a full-time stylist and helping all these women and seeing the effect of having just someone in your corner telling you and showing you just how beautiful and confident you can be, it made me start to think about, okay, I need to do this in a in a bigger way. And then when COVID hit and everyone was sent home here in the US, because that's where I'm based right now, I had a lot of time to think about how can I serve, serve and help more women in a bigger way. So that yeah, so brought me to like putting together my consultancy. And really, and even when you check out the website or whatnot, you will always find that I don't have specific services like I'll have some things, but everything is tailor made to the needs of the client, the person who is approaching me, because everybody is different. Everybody has different needs. And right now where I'm at and how I can help is tapping into every single tool that I have gained in every industry that I've worked in has helped me like be able to support women in so many different ways that I couldn't have obviously foreseen. So that's where (laughs) I'm at right now with all of that.
0: Lovely, so what was the most inspiring project that you have worked on so far? Oh,
1: I can't, I really, I couldn't even pick one. I have worked with so many amazing and passionate women that have just flourished and their businesses have taken off. I've worked with makeup artists, uh, fashion designers, chefs, artists. And like I said, each one is so beautiful and has such a beautiful message that it's really, really, it is impossible to choose just one because, and that's the beauty of what I do is that every day I wake up inspired by the women I work with.
0: Lovely. So I wanted to ask you because you mentioned earlier to me that you're so much interested into eco uh, fashion. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything eco-friendly, so or environmentally friendly. So can you tell me more about that and how you relate that to your brand and strategy? Yes, of course. So for
1: me, while I was working as a full-time stylist, I always found that a lot of a lot of the women would come and they were unsure of how to how to shop, what was the best way? So I was guiding them and I found that In my mind, I was always choosing for them the best made pieces that would be sustainable, that were made, you know, ethically, because that's very important to me. So even though I was working with a brand that maybe not every single piece was ethically made, and I was aware of that, so I wasn't, those weren't the things that I was pushing. I'm a huge advocate for shopping with quality, with things that are sustainable, that you can pass down. I feel like that's something that I have, like I have things that were passed down to me. And I see that the generation now are lacking that because the quality isn't there that things can be passed down. Mm -hmm. So when I work with someone and we figure out what, because now I work in more of a capacity of a style coach. So it's more figuring out what is your own unique personal style and how can we, you know, tap into that and not look at the trends. But then when we're shopping and when I'm telling you, here are some good places to go and shop or look or buy from it's always going to be things that I know are going to be sustainable in the sense that, A, how kind they are to the environment, and B, how well-made they are and so that they can last, so that you can buy pieces. And yes, many, many of them will be investment pieces, but then you know you can pass them down. So a part of your history and your story is then passed down generations, which is a beautiful thing that we look at history and we can see that. But there's come, a, I feel, a stage of time And I've been doing I did a bit of research on it as well, where there's a whole gap now where you can't find things that are telling those stories. Because when people are going and buying this fast fashion, when they're buying these pieces that are not well made and they're not ethical and 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 you're not able to pass it down. And so then the stories kind of get cut off, you know, that those beautiful pieces that are passed down that we might have from generations of our grandparents and our grandmothers. Like, you know, and I, I, so many of like my mother had things from her mother that were passed down from her wedding day. And if you're going to go and buy things that are fast fashion, because you want to stay with the trends, yeah. then I'm not the person to work with you. Right. Because I am very, very, that's a, the, the core ethos of how I work when I'm working with
0: anybody in styling. No, I wanted to, I love what you were talking about, about A and B. I still remember what you said, but I'll speak about B. B, when you spoke about passing down things to other generations, your children. I always say that when you shop, you need to shop for new vintage clothes or whatever, like products, because when you're shopping new vintage, it's not just minimalistic. It's also something, as you mentioned, that the world is getting to understand more is passing down and both of us lena i think we already spoke about this both of us come from um, like our first profession was in the fashion yes. industry i used to work in the in fashion journal, journalism and you were a jewelry designer so speaking of fashion there's like fast fashion there's medium fashion and there's haute couture and fast fashion is not like it's 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 against anything ethical uh, and there's so many documentaries and we could dedicate like hours and we wouldn't, I mean, it would take us maybe a days to just discuss that. And medium fashion is something that I've I've, I've noticed because I, I have some background in the fashion industry. I've noticed a rise in medium uh, fashion movement in France specifically uh, in brands like Maj and Bash and stuff like that. And then you've got the haute couture, which not... Uh, Not everyone can afford it. And it doesn't mean if you're buying haute couture, it doesn't mean that you're being like environmentally friendly or ethical because you don't know, you know, you don't know the backstage or like the story behind that. If the people, if the laborers are being paid fairly or justly, whatever, you know, like uh, there's so many reasons. Uh, A lot of people don't know much about ethical fashion And I'm sure, like, to a certain level, our audience knows a little bit about ethical fashion, but you're an expert. Can you elaborate more about that from your perspective?
1: From my perspective, and I I agree with everything that you're saying, and I think that this is a very important conversation that needs to be had as much as possible these days. Because, yes, while, for instance, here in the States, there is a huge movement towards not people not buying or not encouraging and shopping from fast fashion, it still obviously has a huge market just because of the price points and where people are financially in the world right now, especially after the whole COVID recession and whatnot. But I think when I say personally, when I talk about ethical fashion and when I'm shopping for myself or or with uh, a client, for me, it's knowing that the people, the women or the people who are making the, the pieces are treated well, they are paid well, the fabrics are created in a way that is gentle and kind to the earth, because there's a, that's, that's also a very big issue that we're facing. And there's a huge, huge amount of greenwashing that we're seeing. And greenwashing is using these buzzwords. You know, it's sustainable, it's organic. And as we know, and anybody who puts a little bit of time, you don't even need to put a lot of time into research. But if you put a little bit of time into what exactly needs to go into somebody calling their line sustainable, you'll find that it's very loose. So somebody can just decide and say, well, you know, I'm going to pack, I can use, not pay my workers well. I can, you know, get my fabric from where not, wherever. And then, but if I put it in a paper bag, I can call my brand sustainable because I'm using sustainable packaging, for instance, right? Even though we could go into, is the package actually sustainable? Where did they get the paper from, et cetera, et cetera. It's a huge issue, right? So for me, it's always, I research my brands that I work with and not a lot. And you'd be surprised that a lot, like for instance, just one that comes to mind right now is Acne Studios. Now, Acne Studios is a brand that you wouldn't look at and think it's a sustainable brand. And they don't use it as a marketing thing. But if you go on their website and you search, you will find, I think it's a 25 or 50 page document where they document how their brand is ethical and it is sustainable, which I think is beautiful. And yes, while I would love it to be out there more, it just shows that if you can put some time and and effort into researching your purchases before you make them, because yes, I totally agree. Not everybody can afford the haute couture. And you know, at the same time, they're not always going to be sustainable or kind or ethical. Not necessarily yes. ethical, absolutely. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And people mix that up because people think, oh no, I'm doing good because I'm buying X, Y, Z and I'm paying such a big price point for it. That does not mean anything. You really have to do your research. Just like if you're going to buy food to, buy, to, to eat and you look at the label and you have to see, okay, what are actually the ingredients on it? It can say, for instance, this is gluten-free, but what other things are in there? right? We don't have the same kind of, of labeling when it comes to fashion. So you have to put it, if you care, and we all should care, we need to do that research. We need to look into it because that's the only way that you're going to be able to initiate change and pressure brands to start being more ethical. Nina, where do you think we should start? You start with how, your shopping. Where are you putting your money? Where you spend your money is showing the consumer, the, the brands, what you're interested in. So I know from working in a large brand that they would look at the trends, what's selling, what's not selling. We used to have women that would come in and I respected them highly. They would come in and say, do not show me anything that is not ethically made or that is not the, or, or they'd have certain countries that they, in their mind, like I will not buy from China. They would come in and say, don't show me anything made in China. Because it's mainstreamed, yes. Exactly. So what happens is that message is then taken to the higher ups in these companies. And they're like, okay, if we want to continue to make sales, then maybe we can't have such a high, even though for them, maybe on the bottom line, China's great. But if they're not going to make sales, it doesn't make sense. So then they have to start looking at, okay, what are maybe some of the locally, you know, local brands that they know are made in, like, for instance, here, made in the US is huge. But made in the US and, you know, sustainable, that puts the brand higher up, they can do higher markups, they can charge the prices and people will pay for it that's the importance. It comes into educating and knowing where you're spending your money. And even though we might think that, oh, it doesn't make a difference, you know, if I buy this or that, no, it does because every dollar you spend is telling sending a message. So what
0: message are you sending? Absolutely, I love what you're saying. Um, it just crossed my mind a question. How do you convince the private sector, um, like big industries, big fashion industries, to become scalable and at the same time ethical? I have the answer. But I yeah. to it, put it, it. Answer.
1: <laughs> Well, I think, look, I think it's with the private sector, you know, I, I understand their position. You know, they, they want to grow their businesses. They want to be scalable. They want to reach more people. But the reality of the situation is that the more it's it's, for me, I like because remember, I'm not coming from the position of that. I went in deep and understand fully how the retail part works. Right. I can see it from the standpoint of the consumer. I can see it from the strategy, you know, uh, point. For me, it's going to be that you have to find a way to maybe not have. Okay, such a huge undertaking. Do it in steps. It can be, nobody's saying change things overnight, right? Because even when you want to initiate change, we all know that change takes time. But if you can start to take those steps in the right direction, and sometimes doing a lot of things, I believe, this is personally, I believe that yes, when you start to do things that are more homegrown, there's a huge impact on everything. And when I see a company, and I know that I see this in a lot with my customers as well, like my clients, that when they're working, like if I'm working with someone who's based, let's say, in Saudi Arabia, okay, and I'm able to show them a brand that was based there, that is made there, even, okay, that has a whole different weight to it, and they're willing to invest. And if you're able to convey the message that you're there to help, you're there to elevate, and to give more people jobs and bring more financial stability into the region by doing these things, I believe you will have more sales, okay? Now, of course, this is just my perspective. And again, and I'm not easy, with the retail easy, right? background.
0: That's directly like client to a business. Yes, exactly, yes, yeah. yes, exactly. So I'm talking
1: about from the client, like so when I'm working with somebody directly, not business to business, I'm not very well versed in that. Mm-hmm. But what my only advice would be from my And I'd love to hear your thoughts, because I'm sure you have a lot more in depth with that. But for me, it's always and anything you want to do when you want to take change and when you want to like init- initialize and start things moving in a direction, take the small steps and communicate your message as you're going along. Because when people understand that you have a goal in mind, okay, that you're working towards something that means something to them. Right. If you just start changing things and people don't understand why you're doing it, you're missing a huge understanding and a huge educational moment. Because then as you're making changes, you can be educating the people on why am I making, why is my brand doing this? Right. I just feel like some brands miss that and they miss the opportunity to have the client base and the fan base and the understanding grow with them as they're going through this process. Because yeah. they're so yeah. caught up in I just want to do this.
0: Yes, especially with the coming generation, uh, Lina, uh, generations that is a generation that is entering the workforce this year, and as they grow, generations that has a tendency from behavioral economists, they say that they have a tendency to have instant gratification. They when they buy something, they want it to go to impactful. Uh, projects or initiatives, because of, you know, it it, it has shaped them, you know, what they've been through, uh, like the events that happened throughout their years of growing up has shaped them into individuals. I'm not going to say all of them, but the majority of this generation is what is going to be wanting uh, instant gratification. It makes me go back to, I don't know if you're familiar with, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the Industrial Revolution, But when the Industrial Mm -hmm. Revolution happened, right uh, after that, there was a movement in the United Kingdom, in the Cotswolds specifically, it's called the Arts and Crafts Movement, which Mm -hmm. was a reaction Mm -hmm. against uh, industrialization and like overproduction. And to the audience, like I'm just explaining, the Arts and Crafts Movement was in alignment with what we're talking about with slow fashion. Do you see a comeback of the arts and crafts movement at the moment?
1: I do. I do. A hundred percent. I think it started, I mean, this, obviously this last, I feel like it's been forever, but like maybe a year and a half, it has slowly, but surely been coming back. A lot of things that have been happening around the world are, are leading in that direction. And whereas maybe if this had happened, I feel five years ago, there might have been more resistance, but I'm feeling that right now what I'm seeing from the market itself here in the US and seeing like, and the the women I work with who are designers and fashion designers and in the industry across the globe, this is what people are responding to because people are just so much more aware of where their money is going and they're, they're understanding more. I think the world was just really fast right? And I think that what's happened, everything has slowed down. And that includes the speed at which people want that gratification. Okay, there is that generation that's coming in that still have it. And obviously, to a certain extent, maybe it's even a bit on steroids, because they've been stuck at home, and they have social media that gives them this instant gratification, what you know, with likes and followers and whatnot. But for as an overall, if we're going to look at the overall market and the people who are spending money, people are more knowledgeable. They want to know more about the, the you know, about how everything is 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 going. Uh, how are we treating the world? Um, how kind can we be to this world that we're leaving? Because I think this year has brought light to what are we doing to our world. How kind can we all be to each other and to our own environment? So I think that that's happening and I'm, I'm, I'm here for it, 100%. I am a huge advocate for it. It's actually, I have a, a, a passion. Like if I have somebody that I can, I'm not working with directly, but if I can mentor, support, point that person in the right direction to continue with her journey to do this, that's what I'm doing. Passion. That's what you're talking about, right? 100%. Yep, yeah. exactly.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Oh, wonderful. Lina, it was really great speaking with you. I think, uh, like, if I speak with you for like <laughs> 24 hours, I wouldn't be bored. Oh, thank that. you. Same here. Same here. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for
1: your time. Have a nice day. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Love being a part of this. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks for
0: joining us and listening to Arif. Remember that you can make a difference in the world, even with small steps in the right direction. If you'd like to support the show, please leave a rating and a review. If you have a suggestion or a comment for future episodes, email me at abwer at warif.com. Until the next episode, have a good one.